Welcome to Deal of the Week, Bloomberg's podcast on the world of mergers and acquisitions. I'm Ed Hammond, your host, and I'm joined this week by Brooke Sutherland, one of our columnists here on Bloomberg Gadfly, and once again by our bureau chief, Jason Kelly. This week, we're going to be discussing the latest in this big, ongoing, hostile situation between Broadcom, the huge semiconductor maker, and its rival Qualcomm, and also potentially NXP, who are on the far end of it. So Broadcom made a hostile approach for Qualcomm back in November, about $70 a share. That was initially rejected. They did earlier this week what we all knew they would do, which was come back with a higher offer. It was higher than I think most people were expecting at $82 a share. But, and this is very important, Qualcomm traded down on the news. Brooke, I'll put you on the spot. Why? I think it was partly to do with the fact that Broadcom said this is their best and final offer. And there's some concern that maybe the Qualcomm management team that that's still not enough for them to get them to negotiate. And that kind of creates this ongoing saga. But I think there was also a report from an analyst that said he thought that Apple would take both Qualcomm and Broadcom chips out of the next iPhone. So that, I think, contributed significantly to the selling pressure, which is probably why you saw such an outsized decline relative to sort of the read of the increased bid. Another thing they said in the release yesterday, which was, was fairly unusual, was that if... Qualcomm paid more than the $110 a share that it's already agreed to pay for NXP, they would effectively abandon their their offer. Do you think that's something that got some investors spooked as well in terms of Qualcomm maybe not you know, not wanting to do this deal, it now has a very easy poison pill in the form of NXP. Sure. I, I don't think anybody should be surprised by that because, you know, it was certainly the strongest statement we've seen from Broadcom, but they've had before language, you know, this is contingent on NXP at 110 or terminated. So that very clearly left out the option of an increased bid for NXP, which at this point, it looks like you have to raise your bid for NXP if you want that deal to close. Elliott uh, Management activist investors sort of leading the charge over there for more money. They have a decent amount of facts on their side as far as arguing for a high valuation. So, you know, I think at this point, if a deal with Broadcom happens, you almost have to assume that NXP isn't part of it. And in their slide deck, they actually had, you know, some sort of, I don't want to say disparaging, but not overly supportive comments about NXP and the quality of that business. So it certainly seems like the type of thing they're not interested in. It's sort of like they'll take it if they get it at 110, but they're certainly not going to be the ones pushing an aggressive pursuit here. There's so many variables in this deal. <laughs> I mean, that's I mean, to me, it's just so fascinating. And like, there's variables, there's gamesmanship. I mean, even just what you described, Brooke, and all of these elements of having activists involved and and having these these companies you've got Apple sort of out there as this element that investors have to factor in I mean and it's amazing to me it's all like the a big giant in. chess game and yeah. it's all these like human three dimensional chess right against the backdrop of a very very uncertain regulatory environment obviously Trump has made it even more uncertain than it once was and you have these deals that, I mean, look, NXP, uh, Qualcomm, that deal is already in month, I think, 19 of its regulatory review, not done. So whether or not they agree a deal is only half of the equation, because then you're actually going to have to get this thing approved, which is going to be a monster process. Well, and also factor in what we've been experiencing over this week with the equity markets. And obviously, these stocks are moving on a lot of speculation around the deal, and yet you can't rule out the idea of a real live market correction that 
makes every M&A deal out there repriced to a certain extent. Well, and that's an interesting point, because in the offer that um, Broadcom released this week where they increase it, they didn't spell out what the exchange ratio for the stock portion is, which is sort of interesting, because even before we had this dramatic market route, Broadcom stock was down since they announced this deal. And some of that is just sort of concerns about peak cycle and semiconductors in general, but also sort of uncertainty about the deal. You know, how aggressive will Broadcom ultimately be? Will they make some sort of uneconomic decision here? So I I think that exchange ratio is going to be very interesting once we finally get details on that and how that works out. Well, one bit of uncertainty, as a a sort of someone who covers deals across sectors, one bit of uncertainty in here, which is so unusual and so fascinating, is that if you're a Broadcom shareholder, you ultimately don't know whether they're going to buy Qualcomm or whether they're going to buy Qualcomm and NXP. NXP is a $45 billion company. How can (laughs) you go into a situation with that as a kind of, you know, maybe we will, maybe we won't. And Broadcom have said very publicly, they want to do this deal with or without NXP. So it's just an afterthought. You're talking about one of the biggest chip companies in the world. Um, Brooke, I want to bring it back to sort of what happens next. We have, uh, I think the next really meaningful date is March the 6th, which is the shareholder meeting for Qualcomm. What could we expect to see between now and then? Well, we're also going to get NXP's earnings in the meantime, which I think will be super telling as far as, you know, the underlying fundamental case for these activist investors and other shareholders pushing for a higher price. Um, I don't, it's not inconceivable that you could see some sort of decision on NXP before we get to the March 6th meeting. Because if you're Qualcomm's management, mm-hmm. how many fires do you want to be fighting at once? Do you want, you know, you, you kind of have this on both sides here. And so I think, you know, what they have sort of intimated is, you know, they have all these different regulatory battles going on with NXP and they got approval from Europe. They're still waiting on China. I think if you saw that approval from China, then you could start to see maybe some more price action as far as an increased bid for NXP. But then the real spotlight is on the March 6th meeting. We should just note very quickly that noise you may have heard in the background was uh, Jason Kelly's phone going off. Jason Kelly's phone almost certainly has, we should say, a Qualcomm chip in it. It, it absolutely does. You're right. We should have charged. disclosed that at the beginning. There we go. <laughs> well, and I'm also fascinated by this idea. I mean, the other name we have not brought into the conversation yet is Intel. Right. I mean, and you know, which is the behemoth of the chip industry. I confess that you know, 15 years ago, I covered the chip industry here at Bloomberg. I worked alongside Ian King, who has just broken a ton of news on this deal, along with people on your team. Uh, Ed, it is really the the best in the business out there. You know, and I think back to when when he and I were reporting partners, and you know, you had Intel and AMD and Texas Instruments and National Semiconductor. I mean, the the radical way that this business has changed over that period is is amazing to me. And a big part of it has been Hock Tan, the now chief executive of Broadcom. He's obviously built Broadcom through a series of acquisitions from a very small company a few years ago to now what it is, this this sort of monster in the space. And he seems really hell-bent on becoming the dominant chip maker globally. I think even getting, you know, potentially if he does this Qualcomm deal, getting ahead of Intel. Yeah, I mean, this is, that's really among the most interesting things here is that this could be the construction of finally the anti-Intel, like a real live competitor to Intel, which, let's be honest, AMD has never really truly been. They get a little bit close and then Intel sort of swats them back and keeps going. And Intel has needed AMD to exist for a certain period for purely competitive reasons or anti-competitive reasons, antitrust reasons, uh, which, as you alluded to, could come into play in, in this regard as well. 
The one thing I wonder, though, is just given, you know, Broadcom's already done so many acquisitions. And if, you know, if it buys NXP, then in addition to Qualcomm, then you're really talking about stacking these onto each other. I mean, how competitive can they be out of the gate with somebody like Intel when you're integrating a massive series of acquisitions yeah, that's on a really top good of point. each other? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, this is not an easy lift when, when you talk about putting corporations together. And I mean, Qualcomm really is one of the storied companies from an engineering perspective, from a scientific perspective. You know, it grew up in San Diego, you know, had the Jacobs family behind it, you know, the father and then the son running this company. It's a, it's a really interesting and distinct company in a lot of ways. And there's yeah. a reason that all these companies haven't gotten together before. It, very interestingly, there was actually a nod to that exact point in the uh, in the Broadcom release this week, where they sort of really went out of their way to recognize the history of this company, the, its importance in the whole semiconductor sort of ecosystem, if you like. And, and I think really trying to address some of those cultural concerns that could you put on the one hand Broadcom, which is a really an acquisition machine, together with this company that had um, sort of been around really since the, since the inception of, of chips. And interestingly, they said with their offer this $82 a share, they, they highlighted that there were only five days in the whole history of Qualcomm where its, its shares had traded above that. And Brooke, in her very smart column on the subject, has kindly identified these <laughs> dates. And I know I noticed that only two of them, both in 2014, occurred after the millennium. So, Brooke, is this a good price? Is this a good enough price, do you think, to get Qualcomm to the table? I think those are two. There are two different questions here. It's is it good enough for Qualcomm management and the board to engage, or is it good enough for shareholders? And I think eighty two is good enough for shareholders. Um, you know, surveys have that Bloomberg News and other outlets have taken of shareholders have shown they'd be willing to accept something above eighty. Clearly, we're there again. It it depends on what the ultimate exchange ratio is, but I think the opportunity to own shares in the surviving entity is going to be appealing for some of these investors. Um, now, for Qualcomm management and the board, I don't know. They, you know, last month laid out a pretty aggressive plan as far as how they're going to boost the standalone value of the company. They have a completely different outlook on, you know, the onslaught of 5G and how Qualcomm stands to benefit from that than um, uh, Broadcom does. They also take a very different view of the outcome of their battle with Apple over their licensing business than Qualcomm does. So they they have a very different perception of the ultimate, you know, trajectory of their business. But I think shareholders who have sort of been with Qualcomm through all of these struggles, and it's been years now with the licensing business and all of these other issues, maybe are just ready to say enough is enough. So even if management refused, potentially at March the 6th at the shareholder meeting, we should know, obviously, Broadcom have put up a slate of directors and seem at least at this point willing to go fully hostile. And I think that Qualcomm maybe had a better shot of sort of resisting the hostile state without an increased offer from Broadcom, because the price as it was before the $70 a share was not going to cut it. And at that point, if you're a Qualcomm shareholder, it's just sort of a weird thing to be asked to do to vote in this entirely new board slate when you don't really have a guarantee of an increased offer. And if the whole thing falls apart at the hands of antitrust regulators, this new board is going to be in charge of running your company. And the slate that Broadcom put up is fine, but there's nothing that is extremely exceptional to say, oh, they're going to be much better stewards of a standalone Qualcomm business. Well, and also the whole tenor of this has gotten, even if it's not fully technically hostile at this point. I mean, the... It's almost there. It's almost there. I mean, then the rhetoric that Tan is using, I mean, there's this great Q&A that, that Ian did with him. And I mean, and some of the things that he's saying about, you know, that Qualcomm doesn't know the world has changed. Yeah. And he's sort of... like. <laughs> 
invoking his own background as an engineer and uh, talking some engineer smack talk. I mean, that's really right. And again, this is a sort of nod to their historic value, but perhaps they haven't really figured it out in the modern age. Exactly. I mean, he's talking about them not really seeing the real world side of this. He's talking about them, you know, getting into fights with their customers. I mean, you know, in in that sort of business, that's as close as engineers get to, like, throwing punches, I think. Yeah, it's it's rough. You do have to wonder, though, about turnover and talent, I think, is a question for me within Qualcomm, because it's sort of this, you know, it's a bunch of scientists, and they like to invest in R&D, and it's a big part of their culture. And, you know, Broadcom is very different. They invest in R&D, but it's much more focused. There's no, you know, let's dream up these fancy projects that are going to compete with Apple or compete with whatever it is. So do you risk losing talent, maybe, by merging some of these? And there was, and we talked about this a little bit, but I mean, there was this, it it has always felt like there's a certain sort of high-mindedness to, to Qualcomm that, that I think is very much uh, baked into it. And, and I think back to some of the other sort of mergers uh, of a sort in this business. There were two private equity deals here, Freescale and NXP, which are now NXP together. And Freescale, of course, I mean, that was the old Motorola business. I mean, and again, like a very distinct cultural business that went back to the very roots of the of the chip industry. And is now potentially going to be the third or fourth leg of this slightly <laughs> bizarre <laughs> and, exactly. and, and complex deal. So th- another thing that obviously we have to talk about on this is antitrust and you know some of the issues around that. Now, it was interesting. I was on air yesterday when this thing actually hit and we were reading through the release in real time. One of the things at the top of the release that was most fascinating and eye-catching as a, as a deal person is this ticking fee that they've put in there. So Broadcom effectively had said they are so confident that they can get this thing closed within a year, which you put that next to NXP, as I say, it's already in month 19, it's not yet closed. They're so confident they can get it done within a year that they said for every day or week or month after that year, we will effectively start paying you guys some interest. And that strikes me as either they're sort of bluffing and they're just way too bullish or they have some fundamental belief about the ability to close this that maybe we we don't yet. I don't see how you could be so – I mean in this environment right now and seeing the relative capriciousness that regulators seem to be taking toward – In Europe, in Asia and in the US now. Well, let's also not forget that Broadcom is still a Singapore company. Just. the vast – no, I mean it hasn't technically re-domiciled yet. So it plans to move to the US but – and it still gets the vast majority of its business from Asia. I mean we have no idea really how US regulators are going to look at this. Especially um, these U.S. regulators in this particular administration. Although, which is although it's so worth mentioning that Hock Tan went up in front of Trump, but perhaps cynically or perhaps not. Like two days before this deal broke, uh, he was in D.C. at the White House, and I think Trump sort of recognized him as a great, great man. But we've sort of seen other examples of, of companies that have sort of made those overtures and thought that it would work in their favor, and then it didn't, such as the Ant Financial MoneyGram deal. And that, you know, that's a perfect example. They, of that. they had that PR stunt, and yeah. then regulators were like, nope, sorry, move it along. But as far as the timeline, let's not forget the brocade acquisition that Broadcom just closed, which is another reason people thought he went and made nice with Trump was to get sign off from that. That took, I believe, 10 months. So and that was a significantly smaller deal, and I, I that timeline is very aggressive. We don't know how much the ticking fee is actually. Well, going well, to from, be, from what I understand, and this comes from talking to a, a few people involved in the deal yesterday, the ticking fee and the break fee, they want to negotiate both of them with Qualcomm. So their line at the moment is, let's get Qualcomm to the table, and then we can start to have a sensible conversation about, well, what's your assessment of risk versus ours? How can we compensate you if we sort of go longer than uh, we think it will? Also, on the break fee, it should be noted that people have been saying. 
potentially up to 10 billion. I was told it would probably be slightly less than that. It would be somewhere between six and eight, which is an enormous That's number. That's a lot. It's a, a lot. lot of money. It's a lot. But, you know, there is uh, there is obvious risk to this deal. And if you're, if you're Qualcomm, you have this standalone plan that, uh, albeit they haven't delivered on thus far, but they think they have a great future on their own. We'll see. We'll see. We'll <laughs> see, see if shareholders agree. There you go. Well, we have, as I say, we have this March the 6th date when I'm sure we will all be back in this room talking about it, whether or not the uh, shareholders in Qualcomm allowed the board to stay on in their current form or whether or not they replaced them with Broadcom's slate. That's it for this week's episode of Deal of the Week. Join us next week for more on the world of mergers and acquisitions. Thank you to Brooke and Jason for joining me. And also thank you to Magnus Henriksen, our hot producer. 